All right, we're, uh, we're finishing a series today called uh, Resurrection, Ascension, and Kingship. We've been in this series uh, called Resurrection Everywhere, and next week uh, we're starting a new series. Caroline and I are working on a series of, of sermons called Why Do We Sing? I promise you I will not be singing out loud during that sermon series, but we're working on that and really look forward to sharing some of that with you and, and working through that together. Uh, but today we're talking about something that happened on Thursday. Yeah, what, what were you all doing on Thursday? Maybe you um, were finishing a final exam. Maybe some of you were closing on a house. Uh, maybe some of you were uh, getting ready to move, finalizing job plans. Think about what you were doing on Thursday. Uh, maybe some of you were at the Color Purple, the uh, Broadway musical at the Orpheum Theater. Some of you maybe took in a Chinatown tour. There was a big uh, tour there on Thursday. But the biggest thing that happened on Thursday was the Ascension. Yes, right at Dolores Park. There was Jesus. No. Uh, but Thursday is a day in the church calendar that we celebrate the Ascension. And uh, Sunday is Ascension Sunday. That's today. So we're going to talk about the Ascension. And really, what does it mean for us? Like, what's the big deal? Uh, how does it benefit those original listeners? And how does it benefit us uh, 2,000 plus years later? Uh, let me start with a story. So there's the disciples. Uh, Jesus is making his post-resurrection tour for about 40 days. And he's connecting with disciples. And he's using many proofs that he's indeed alive. Uh, it's not a fairy tale, but he's alive. And on this one day, he's even having a meal with them. We're going to get into the scripture in just a minute. But he's having a meal with these disciples. And all of a sudden, he says some last words to them. And then he ascends. He just begins to disappear. He blesses them and he's gone. That's the story that we're going to get into today. And I want to ask you, what in the world would you have been thinking? What in the world would the, the disciples in that moment have been feeling and thinking if they heard Jesus, their leader, their champion, um, begin to talk about his death um, they saw him rise from the dead, and now he's made these appearances, but now he's, he's gone. But he gave them some last words. What would you think? What would you feel? If this indeed, excuse me, <coughs> pollen, sorry. Um, if this indeed did happen um, at Dolores Park, let's just say, uh, this past Thursday, you can imagine what some of the voices there in Dolores Park may have been saying. Um, maybe a lot of skepticism going on. Ha! There's Jesus. You believed in him. Uh, it, what a great run it was, but he's gone. What, what, wouldn't you know that he would leave us high and dry? So uh, let's get into this story and inviting you to think about and really feel what, what those benefits of the ascension of Jesus really is. We're looking at uh, the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, where it's recorded. And uh, Luke is our writer here. Uh, as you know, uh, Luke and Acts is, is sort of a two-volume series. The writer of Luke is the same writer of, of Acts. Luke is the um, account of Jesus and all the, the miracles and things that Jesus is doing in his life, in his earthly ministry. And then the book of Acts is simply what the title uh, suggests. It's Acts of these apostles who are the first followers of Jesus that begins to spread the gospel um, in the uttermost parts of the world. So here we are in Acts chapter 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit 
to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift from my Father, which my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So let's just pray and ask God for uh, wisdom and direction as we look at this uh, passage here. Father, we pray again asking that you would make sense of all of this, that you would uh, speak to us about your character. What does the ascension reveal about who you really are? And that you've really not left us alone, as we're so prone to think and feel so often. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the truth of the ascension and all that it means. And we pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So God wants us to see some things about Jesus, okay? And if you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, but I don't see him. That's the whole, like, where is Jesus? And if you've been in those conversations, I can remember my kids asking me one time, where is Jesus? We want to believe, but where is this Jesus? And I've had friends ask that same question, where is this Jesus? I'd love to believe in him, but I kind of need to see this Jesus. Um, very first thing it, that God wants to see about Jesus is that he's... Per- Uh, persistently present. Jesus is persistently present and uh, a promise keeper. Verse 3, this 40-day resurrection tour, he mentions that he's given them convincing proofs that he was alive. Verse 4, look at it. It says, the gift my father promised. Verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay, so even though Jesus is leaving... The one thing God wants us to see about Jesus is that he's still with you. So he's left, he ascended, yet through the Holy Spirit, this gift that he's given us, God is now with you and all believers all the time, everywhere. It's that sort of superhero power that we all wish we had, right? You want to be in two places at the same time? This is the reality that the ascension gives us, is that God is able to do that through the Holy Spirit indwelling you, me, and all believers. Remember in the book of John, he's uh, again telling them, his disciples, I'm going to die, he says in chapter 16 of John, I'm going to die, but in fact, I go away because it's for your advantage. It's going to be for your good that I go away. Yet, I won't leave you as orphans. You're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel all alone and where is God at times, but I want you to know that I'm with you. I want you to know that I'm persistently present 
with you. Uh, God is not handing out some consolation prize here to us. Hey, I'm going to give you the force. May the force kind of be with you. I hope it's with you. I hope the force is strong enough. I hope you're tapped into it enough. It's the person. The personhood of God is with you, is indwelling you, has taken up residency inside of you. When we say that uh, the, the ascension of Jesus assures us of this, he's present. Another chapter in John 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you an advocate. This advocate's going to be your helper. When you need help, when you need wisdom, anybody ever need help or wisdom? When you're making big decisions or small decisions, you will have an advocate. You don't need to rub a, a genie. You don't need to, to do certain things to, to make the advocate hear you. You don't have to speak really loudly or repetitive or face your body in a certain direction, but this advocate hears you. This advocate is for you. This advocate is your helper who's called alongside and dwells inside of you to lead and guide and direct you. God is present with you. God is not distant. Jesus is that close to us. So fear not. God is is with you. Live bold. Be courageous. Why? Not because I or you have these certain gifts and, hey, the world better just watch out because I'm going to live boldly and courageously. But I and you as believers in what Jesus is saying here to us, we can live courageous, bold lives because of the resurrection, because of the ascension, because right now God really is with you and indwells me. I can make courageous decisions. Uh, Next thing he wants us to see here is uh, Jesus is enthroned as king. Verse 6, I love love the disciples' question here when they start thinking, so, hey, it's at this time, right, Jesus, that you're going to restore your kingdom, like right now, uh, here in Jerusalem? That's what you're about to do, right? Jesus, isn't that why you came, to have some political reign and uh, be a leader in that regard? Um, And so... Something about the ascension here with with Jesus being enthroned as king is Jesus has a different image in mind when he's talking about his kingship and his kingdom than we have in mind. This original group, they would have loved it if Jesus would have been bringing a political reign, uh, an economic reign to to benefit them. That's that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, He blows their mind. He's he's talking uh, about... When you suffer, when there are political leaders in your midst, when there are other leaders in your life that's enthroned or has been placed in a position of power, that's what the word ascension means. It means to rise to a position of power. So when you think about other leaders in your life who have risen to that place of power, who are are using it for total um, maybe self aggrandizement or injustice, uh, Jesus is so different in his enthronement as king. He's in place as king to serve and to love and to rule. Um, So he's basically saying sufferers, sufferers take heart. Sufferers take heart. Whatever systems are at play, whatever the system is saying, 
whatever resistance you feel within you to, to, to fight against all of that, take heart, sufferers. Take heart. I am enthroned as king. I see all things. My eye is not only on the sparrow, but my eye is on the system. I see my entire created order. Um, the third thing that God wants us to see is that uh, Jesus' Jesus' kingdom is in us, and Jesus' kingdom is going to begin to overflow through us. That's the kingdom. It wasn't some political reign or territory or uh, city per se, but we are the kingdom. As his kingship begins and continues to grow and reign and rule inside us as his believers. Not so that we could create a new political entity or city um, or commune somewhere, but in all the sectors where all of us reside and work and play and have our hobbies and have our families, that's where the kingdom is growing and shining beautifully and powerfully and weakly, I may add. Through our weakness, yet through his strength. Look, look at this verse 8 here that says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It, it's like part and parcel to the Holy Spirit taking up residency inside the life of a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the scriptures say. There's an assurance that you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you as your advocate, as your helper. And the other uh, assuring thing is that you and I, as this group, we're going to be his witnesses. This is going to take place. It happens through your life. It happens through words that you say. It is happening. It will take place. And I love the, uh, the, the geography that's listed here, right, as he talks about verse 8, uh, where they're going to be these witnesses. Notice what he says here. If you, if you look on a map, you'll notice how like, far extending it is. Uh, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, that's exactly sort of where they were. And then in all Judea, which is the surrounding area. And then even Samaria, which is a little farther out. And then to the farthest reaches of the earth. I, I think all of this is great for us to know because God starts with using you right where you are. God's kingdom comes to bear inside you exactly where you are right now. So that notion of, hey, God's kingdom would really grow in me if I were just like over there doing that career, I I think, or if I were in that city, or if I were with this group, or if I had someone really motivating me more than I do, or no, God's kingdom, first of all, lives inside of you because God is present inside of you, and then that kingdom is coming to bear and working itself out right where you are. That's beautiful. So that, that good news that we talk about every Sunday, right? It, it keeps coming to us. It, it, it grows in us and then inevitably overflows through us. That's the cadence and the rhythm here that God is wanting to remind us of here. So their, their power, right? Because of the resurrection of Jesus and this ascension, this kingdom, their power as disciples, our power, is not in a restoration um, in these Uh, days and months and years to come. We long for it. Um, But he's teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, make what's beautiful and true and, 
and prized by you in heaven, make that be true here too. And that's why you groan and and you grieve and you long for injustice to be done away with. You and I know that Jesus is enthroned, but we long for this enthroned king to come back. And that's that's the fourth thing we want to look here at is that see Jesus as the returning king. Yet seriously, like verse 11 says, Jesus, this king, has not only been enthroned, but this same king is going to come back. Verse 11. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Glad that you're curious, disciples. Glad that you're just like looking up and, and worshiping and, ah, wow, how cool is that? Like, I don't, was there smoke? Was there, I, that would have been cool to see. But this same Jesus, whom you saw taken from you, will return in the same way that he left you. Jesus will make, this may or may not be earth-shattering to you, but it's worth repeating, Jesus will make an earthly appearance. Jesus will make a physical, spiritual, earthly appearance. We don't know when that is. But he will resume his role as extending that kingdom and bringing that kingdom and kingship into all of its fruition upon his return. Um, so, so you say, so what? My hope, your hope, is in a glorious future. You may or may not have something big and exciting that's going to take place tomorrow in your life or, or this week. But it's more, has a much longer arc than tomorrow or next week. It's a, it's a far-reaching, future-oriented. It's now, but it's also to come. There's a glorious hope and a future that awaits me and you. And I can be assured of it. I can know it. Fifthly, he says here, see Jesus as a great high priest. Um, I'm going to use a couple of different passages, not in this text, uh, to support uh, the last three things we want to say about Jesus here. Uh, This one comes from the book of Hebrews. So once again, these verses I'm about to mention is so comforting and so empowering if you've ever wondered where is Jesus right now and what is he doing there where is Jesus and what is he doing there God wants to see Jesus as a great high priest Hebrews chapter 4 says we have a great high priest his name is Jesus the son of God this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same temptations that we do Yet he did not sin. I don't know about you. I don't know where you take your grief. I don't know what valve you press to release anxiety, stress. I don't know where you vent. I don't know where you cast your dreams and expectations of the future. I don't know what friend can handle all of what I just mentioned. But God is promising us here that through Jesus, he's a great high priest for you. I can cast all of that on Jesus. He's a great high priest for me. Think about about his character there, that he understands our weaknesses. Jesus, as being the ascended king who's enthroned right now, the same one who's coming back, is also my high priest who understands all of my weaknesses and doesn't shame me for my weaknesses. Number six here, Jesus, see Jesus as a prayer warrior. We kind of assume that Jesus, if Jesus is ascended and he's seated there and, and he's been enthroned, that, 
hey, he's Jesus. He's probably praying, right? Good guess. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Hebrews chapter 7 mentions that Jesus is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him as a mediator and that he now lives forever to intercede and pray to God on their behalf. Wow. Jesus is praying right now for you. I've repeated this before, but I'll say it again. Jesus pulled an all-nighter last night praying for you and did it last week, and I'll do it tomorrow. How much of your present reality are you tuned into and am I tuned into of the fact that Jesus is praying for me? When things get really hard, when things seem really overwhelming, when there doesn't seem to be a way out, when temptation really feels like it's gotten the best of you, what about remembering a great high priest who's your prayer warrior? That even if I've forgotten to pray, he's praying for me. That's grace. That's compassion. That's mercy of this king. Instead of a king saying, oh, you don't think I'm the greatest? You've forgotten about me? Watch how I treat you. You'll get what you deserve. You'll learn the hard way to respect me. Jesus is kind. Jesus is merciful and gentle and compassionate with us. This prayer warrior, um, you, you may be uh, right in the midst of a train wreck right now. You, you may be about to get into a train wreck uh, somehow emotionally, physically, in, in your life. And, and this is that part of who God is that will encourage you like nothing else. He's this prayer warrior for you. And that he wants good for you. He has your best intentions at heart. I remember uh, worshiping at an African-American church in the, the, the small city that I grew up in, Savannah, Georgia. And there was this responsive thing that the minister and the congregation would do back and forth every Sunday. And if you've ever been to a church like this, it's very vocal and expressive in their worship. Um, someone normally says, God is good. And then the congregation just like belts it out all the time. And then they say back all the time. And then the minister would say, God is good. That's the message. God is good. And he's good all the time. His eye really is on the sparrow. His eye really is on you. In that anxiety, in those moments of wondering, what's next? Where does this lead to? Because aren't you so distant, God? Didn't you like just like ascend and go off somewhere? Where are you? Uh, David does that in the psalm. He's, he's having that freedom to interact with God in that way. God, it's tough. I mean, I, I believe that you're here, but help me feel it. Help me know it. And that's what the ascension does for us. It gives us that assurance Uh, Number seven, lastly here, see Jesus as your defense attorney. See Jesus as your defense attorney. He's been enthroned, he's king, but he's a DA. Those moments when you feel so either beaten up by yourself or others or maybe your enemy, Satan, is making you feel like you're, you're, you're a sinful record and, you, you know, you're not really a Christian after all and all of those things, see Jesus, I'm getting this from um, 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven, but he entered in heaven itself to, to appear now before God on our behalf. Okay, and then in 1 John chapter 1, where he's saying that he is our um, advocate. And in that sense there, he's not meaning helping. He's meaning the one who's defending us. You know what this does for me? I don't have to defend myself. I still do when I forget this. But what does this do for the Christian? You don't have to defend yourself. When, when you've been uh, in, in, a, in a relationship and, and the other person tells you that you're being... Um, angry and one of our temptations in that very moment is to say well no I'm not we, we, we get defensive not only in human interaction but we get defensive with God don't we and the thing about Jesus here seeing him as my defense attorney I don't have to defend myself before God I don't have to defend myself before Satan who's making me feel like I'm not even a true follower of Jesus Jesus is my defense attorney. He's already done that. He is my lawyer defending me. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who will condemn those who truly believe in Jesus? No one. For Christ Jesus died for them and was raised to life and is now sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Wow, there... Romans 8 just talked about the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation, the kingship of Jesus. All all in one. Power punch right there. Beautiful. Amazing. Conclusion. Conclusion. Time of of meditation. Just, again, bow your hearts. We're going to be coming to uh, God's table of communion here momentarily. to, To receive God's grace. We do this every week. It's a celebration. But use these time to, this time right now just, just to meditate. Take, take some quiet space. And at this point, you might be thinking, this story of the resurrection and now the ascension has gotten a little out of hand. <laughs> How can I believe these dubious claims? <laughs> Jesus physically rose from the dead. Jesus physically ascended into heaven. Jesus is physically in heaven, seated at God's right hand. And Jesus is physically going to come one day again. Just remember that these weren't iffy claims made by some liar or some lunatic. They were made by the Lord Jesus Christ that he promised that he would indeed die, rise, ascend, be exalted, and return. And that we could find hope and fulfillment in a world of brokenness, in a world of injustice. Because this is not the end of the story. So as you meditate, receive these last few comments here. Because of the ascension of Jesus, be assured that God is alive, God is present with you, through the indwelling and reigning of the Holy Spirit. So be courageous. That God is good and that God is ruling and reigning over all circumstances. All circumstances. He's either reigning and ruling or he's not. And that Jesus is calling you into his mission that's greater than your own moment in time. Are we a part of that mission? 
And that Jesus will come again to take away all sorrow, all pain, all death, all injustice, all tears, and restore all of it. And that Jesus is my prayer warrior, praying for me right now. And that Jesus is my defense attorney, and that no one can bring any charge against me. Let's celebrate as we close in prayer. Father, Father, please, please help this reality sink in. Please change us because it's already true. Encourage us. Thank you for your ascension, King Jesus. Thank you for your kingship. We pray. We we yield right now. That's what this is. We yield. We surrender to your kingship. We invite you to reign, to rule in our soul, in our heart, in our mind, through our bodies, in this city, San Francisco, and in the surrounding areas here of the Bay Area, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.